Mustang Rocky Peak. <laughs> Great to see you. My name is Michael. If this is your very first time here, a special welcome to you. Uh, not only those who are here in the room, but those who are out on the patio or joining us online. A special welcome to my mom, who I know is watching the 11 o'clock service at home. All right, let's give her a round of applause. Yeah, so, uh, hey, I've had a really interesting uh, couple weeks. Um, it started uh, two weeks ago uh, after Encounter. Remember Encounter? We had those frozen bananas. Yeah, and so I've got implants here in the front that are supposed to be permanent for life, titanium. Nothing, nothing can bother them except a chocolate frozen banana, right? <laughs> And so that led to going down to my dentist, who's a, a close friend. He lives in Vista. Uh, remember the, the story I told about us hiking in the snow and getting lost? Uh, that, that's him, right? And, uh, and so he said, hey, yeah, you know, come on down. I'll make you a, a, a temporary. We'll get this thing fixed. And so I got a temporary last Monday, and I went to Costco on Friday and was rushing through, and I grabbed a, uh, what I thought was a chicken McNugget from the, you know, the samples. And I uh, took a big bite. Well, it was a chicken wing with the bones, and it chipped off the partial. So I now look, I look more like a jack-o'-lantern, you know, on, uh, for, uh, for, for, for uh, Halloween. So I'm just getting ready early, just want to tell you. But the whole reason I'm telling that crazy story is that I know how this, I saw a friend uh, Friday afternoon, and she said, hey, did you get a haircut? <laughs> I'm like, no. No, it's like I broke my tooth. So I'm thinking, you're going to be out there. You're going to be going like, something's different. Uh, you get a haircut, you got new glasses, and then you're not going to be paying any attention to what I'm saying because you're going to try to figure out. So I just thought, hey, I would just remove that off the table. If my grin looks a little like a scraggly old man, you know why. And um, so I'll be going down. It was funny. I called my, my buddy on um, Friday afternoon. I said, hey, you're not going to believe this. They sent a picture of him. And uh, he just said, hey, listen, you can come down any time this weekend, you know, Friday, tonight, tomorrow. I'll fix it, you know. And I said, yeah, well, I really can't. We've got a dinner meeting tonight. We've got a memorial service in the morning. I've got church Saturday night. I've got church Sunday morning and a movement course Sunday night. So how about if I come down after the movement course for Monday morning? So that's the plan, right? So uh, next week, I'll look more normal. But um, just want to let you know so you're not distracted. Secondly, uh, mention the movement course. We actually are doing the movement course tonight. Now, you may not know this. We only do this course twice a year. We do it here. We'll do it in August. And this is a course where we share our vision, our values, our strategies as a church. It's a course you also take if you want to become a member here at Rocky Peak or what we call partnership. And so if you haven't signed up yet, it's tonight 6 to 9. There's still time. It's three hours, but we break it up. We have a light dinner, a light dessert, and kind of take some breaks. So it's just a really great time to connect and, and uh, to learn about Rocky Peak and our vision and so on. And so if you haven't signed up yet, there's still time. We just ask you to go on the website. That'd be super helpful. We'll know how many dinners to get, all right? So, uh, so that's it. So if, you, if you're ready to go, uh, hopefully you've already taken out your message note sheet. Um, if you haven't done that, you're online. Be sure to, you can download it from either the top or the bottom, depending on which format you're watching. We're definitely going to need it today. So with that, are you guys ready to go? Okay, let's go. So Father, we're just excited to be here in your house on your day, uh, the day of the resurrection. And uh, Lord, we, we are resurrection people, that because of your son, um, because of your spirit, we have been raised up with you to new life. 
through your life, death, and resurrection. And we come today, Lord, just reminding ourselves of what you said, that when we gather in the name of our Lord Jesus, that the power of the Lord is there. And so Lord, we just wanna welcome you as our teacher. We just recognize that one plants, one waters, but it's God who gives the growth. It's what you do in this service that turns it into a supernatural experience. And so we come hungry to learn, hungry to grow. We ask that you, by your spirit, would be our teacher. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story begins today in 2006. I don't know where you were in 2006. Some of you are about three years old. Um, but uh, in 2006, in the spring, Lynn and I had been here almost a year uh, at Rocky Peak. And, and so uh, in that year, uh, George W. Bush was president of the United States. Uh, today is Super Bowl Sunday, right? And so uh, in the Super Bowl that year, it was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like any Steeler fans in the house? Okay, three of you, awesome. Uh, and they were playing the Seattle Seahawks. Any Seahawks fans? Yeah, not really. One person, one person raised their head, uh, didn't really want to speak out. It's a little bit, yeah. And I understand, because once again, they lost that year. Um, and uh, so anyway, uh, that, that was going on in sports. In, uh, in the world of the Academy Awards, that year, um, the, the best picture went to a very controversial uh, nomination. It was for the movie Crash. I don't know if you remember that movie. I remember that movie. Um, but for our purposes, in the spring of that year, in March, there was another movie released. And uh, it was later released the same year as a book. And, uh, and, and Oprah took to the book. So Oprah featured the book. And in fact, she was, she was interviewed on Larry King's show. Remember Larry King? And uh, she said, this book is amazing. In fact, uh, in fact, this is the, the message of this book is a book is a message I've been sharing with the world for the last 20 years. And without endorsement, it became a thing. And it, it swept through the culture. And by the time it was done, the book was translated into 50 different languages. It sold over 30 million copies. And if you were to look up the book today on Amazon, 17 years later, it is still number 15 in its category. Well, today we're going to continue our series that we've been in for the last, uh, this is week six of an eight-week series. It's called Worldview, Renewing Your Mind. And so if you're brand new, uh, when we kicked off this series, the very first week, I introduced the concept of worldview by giving two very important definitions. The first one was very long. It was very academic. Uh, it was very technical, it was very thorough. The second one was much shorter, much more practical that we're gonna use as our working definition. So if you're brand new, you'll see it there in the note sheet that a worldview is our big picture view of reality. It's, uh, it's based on our deepest assumptions about the most important questions of life, about like, like who are we, how do we get here, what's the purpose of life, is there a purpose in life, how do I find that purpose, and so on. And so today we come to two, uh, two more of the most important questions that any worldview has to address. And these questions go together. They're sort of a corollary. So the first question is basically, why is the world so messed up? Right? We live in a world that regardless of your worldview, that, that most would agree that, 
This world is not the way we want it, especially in terms of human society. So the question is, like, why is the world so messed up? Why is there so much evil in the world, especially in human culture? And then secondly, the second question is, and how do we fix it? What's the solution? Now, if we had time today, I seriously, I would walk you through, we're doing an all-day seminar, I would walk you through the nine major worldviews that have kind of influenced our culture over the last three or 400 years, and we could answer this, these two questions from every one of these worldviews, but we don't really have time for that. So what I've done is I've created like three big box uh, answers to this question. Like three, uh, here's three big box uh, how, the, how, the, how different worldviews would answer this question, what's the solution to the problem? And so you have multiple worldviews going in each box, all right? And so there in your note sheet, uh, we have a section called Worldview, the Problem and the Solution. So what I wanna do is introduce you to these three big box uh, answers, and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna say, how, uh, what is the Christian answer to this question? How does the Christian worldview uh, respond? And then finally, come back and do some map reading, and so let's compare and contrast these three big box answers that secular world, or not secular, but other worldviews give, and then uh, how does it compare with Christianity, how they align with reality, and so on. And so let's jump in. So the first answer that is given by more than one worldview of how do we fix what's wrong in the world uh, is the answer of spiritual illumination, or you might call it spiritual enlightenment. Now, you'll see there on your note sheet that you have one bullet, and I think it says new age, right? Okay, good, three of you. All right, so uh, you see the bullet says new age. So what happened is earlier in the week, I was gonna give you a couple examples of this first one. And I just thought, well, I won't have enough time, so I'll just do one of them. But last night, it was like, oh, let's just go for it. So we're gonna, I'm gonna give you two examples. You're gonna have to write in the first bullet yourself, okay? The first bullet uh, there uh, would be an example of this, and it's gonna come on the screen, is, is uh, pantheism, right? The first, the first answer, uh, the first example of uh, a worldview that would, would give an answer to how do we fix the problem the world is in um, is pantheism. And a great example of that, of, of classic pantheism, would be Hinduism. Right? So we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to give you an example of how different worldviews would respond. So in classic pantheism, if you say, what's, uh, how do we solve this problem that there's evil in the world? How do we fix that? Uh, in pantheism, like in Hinduism, would say, well, you know what? In remember, pantheism says that everything in the cosmos is God, and God is everything. Remember that? And so in a pantheistic worldview, everything in the world, including, catch this, good and evil, are all part of the one, the one God. Now, it's not a personal God. It's kind of life, a life force, but they're all part of the one. And in fact, you personally, as a person, are part of the one. And everything that we see, including you, is an illusion. We're not really there. And so the, the goal, say, in Hinduism is through spiritual illumination to realize that what you think is real isn't real. And that solves the problem of good and evil because they're actually no, no different. They're all part of the what. Okay? We'll come back to that later. Now, the one I want to spend a little bit more time on that is very similar to, uh, to pantheism, or at least draws a lot from it, is the worldview we haven't talked about in this series that I want to talk about today, which is New Age. Right? 
So um, New Age is a very eclectic worldview, which mean, by, by that I mean it steals from, borrows from many worldviews that are actually contradictory. But it, so it, it, will, it will borrow from naturalism because uh, in New Age you have this theme of evolution, the human race is evolving and we're, we're, our goal is to get to this New Age that we're evolving to. Uh, it will steal from the world of animism, the world of spirits. And uh, so like in, in, uh, in New Age, you have like spirit guides and the angels and that sort of thing, right? So, um, but it also draws largely from uh, pantheism. But there's a, there's a twist in this. In pantheism, uh, everything is God, God is everything, and the goal is to lose yourself like a drop of water into the great ocean of reality, there is no you, that's the goal. But in uh, New Age, it's like the opposite. In New Age thinking, um, all of reality is coming from you, all right? Like you are the source of all reality. So let me give you a couple, and so, and so, the, so the question, well how would we solve the problem of evil in the world? It's like, as each of us realize that we are God, we can begin to use our power to create a new world that doesn't have evil, and so that we're gonna enter into this new age of harmony and peace and human fulfillment as we learn who we really are through spiritual illumination. So let me give you an example. Today we started the day with the story of this very famous book that took the world by storm, you know, uh, 50 languages, 30 million copies promoted by Oprah, right, still numbers uh, number 15 in this category, and the category, of course, is New Age. And the name of the book, many of you will remember this, it was the book, The Secret. Do you remember that book? How many of you guessed that? I'm just curious. Okay, quite a few, yeah. So, yeah, so if you remember, the whole, the whole premise of the book was that there's this thing called the law of attraction. And so what you think about is creates reality. If you think negatively, then that will bring bad things to you. But if you think positively, it will bring good things. So you create reality by the way you think. And I want to give you a couple examples of quotes from that book just to kind of understand how New Age. Now, I realize New Age is sort of, again, eclectic. You can't summarize like everyone agrees with everyone else. But this is really kind of key concepts. So we create reality. So there in your note sheet... You have the first quote. It's, and I want you to uh, hear, catch this first line. You are God in a physical body. Okay? Now, if you didn't know that, that's good to know. <laughs> because that changes the game. It changes everything. Right? Okay, so it, she goes on. You are spirit in the flesh. You are eternal life expressing itself as you. You are a cosmic being. Now it gets really good. You are all power. You are all wisdom. I've met some people who think this. Um, <laughs> you are all intelligence. In fact, you are perfection. Wow, can you imagine being married to someone like this? Anyway, um, you go, I am, no. <laughs> uh, you are magnificence. You are the creator, and you are creating the creation of you on this planet. Okay? Now, 
Catch the next quote. The next quote, we're stepping into mid-context, but she's the, in the book, she's describing, hey, look around you, look at the trees, look at the hills, look at the flowers, look at the bees, look at the, the rivers. In that context, she says, take a look around you. None of it can exist without you. Wow. This is eye-opening. No matter who you thought you were, now you know the truth of who you really are. You see the spiritual illumination theme? It's that, it's that, hey, the secret is that you just need to know who you are and start, you know, kind of like, uh, like Harry Potter, start using your wand, you know? And so, uh, so he says, so you are the master of the universe. You are the heir to the kingdom. Catch this, in New Age, New Age thought they use a lot of scriptural language to give like um, a sense of, like ancient spirituality. So they use a lot of what kingdom, Jesus. There's a lot of, uh, and this is why a lot of Christians get sucked in. Well, it's talking about Jesus, it's talking about the kingdom. Right? So as you are heir of the kingdom, you are the perfection of life. And now you know the secret. Okay? So what I want you to catch is this is one category of answers of how different worldviews will respond to the Why is there evil in the world? How do we solve it? They'll say, well, the reason there's evil is it is what we just we don't really realize it's an illusion. Or the reason there's evil is because we haven't learned how to tap into our powers. But either way, once we, we have spiritual enlightenment, we can solve the problem. Number two. The second one is much easier to follow. This is another big box uh, type of answer, is environment and education. Now, this is one you hear all the time in our culture. You hear it from politicians on either side of the aisle. Uh, you hear it from uh, TV commentators. You hear it from sociology textbooks. You hear it from educators. Uh, uh, it's a very popular view among naturalists. So remember that naturalism is one of the most important and influential worldviews of our time, right? That, that everything exists as a result of billions of years of accidents uh, in conjunction with the laws of nature, and the laws of natural selection. So, so you and I, we're just, kind of, we're just material beings. There is no spiritual world. So if you're a naturalist, there's no God to help you solve the problems. There's no spiritual beings. It's like we gotta solve our own problems. And one of the answers that comes up the most is what we need is we just need better environments and more education. So it goes like this. If we could just eliminate poverty um, if we could just provide the right kind of education, if we could provide the right resources, if we could provide enough therapy, um, then, then if we just create a great environment, then that would solve the problems of the human race. And so you hear this all the time. Right? So, um, so that's, that's kind of a, a second big box uh, type of answer. A third big box type of answer is what I'm calling social structures. I'm going to change the social structures. So uh, societal systems. Now, there's some overlap between number two and number three, but they are different because, um, you know, number two, hey, we just need to eliminate poverty. We just need to, you know, we just need to have better education. There's like, they're kind of uh, aiming at certain environmental issues. But this third category is bigger than that. It's trying to change society at the core in a major way. So I want to give you two examples. You've got one there, one bullet. But let's fill in another bullet. It'll come up. Uh, the first example of this would be Marxism. 
right? So uh, we, you know, we don't have time to do a deep dive into Marxism. We may come back to it in a couple weeks, but uh, we'll only deep dive. But, but Marxism at the core is very simple. At the core, it's, here's the thing. How do we solve the problem? What's the problem in the world? The problem of the world is economic inequity, okay? That's the problem of human society. So if everyone had the same financial, economic resources and power, the world would be a perfect place, right? We would all get along. Um, and so, of course, you know, for Karl Marx, the problem was is that, hey, there's these two groups of people in the world. There's the people who control all the resources, and they control what he called the means of production, like how you, the things that make things, you know, the economy, uh, your factories and your fields and so on. There's these kinds of people, and then there's the worker bees. And so these people who own the means of, cons- of, uh, of, uh, of, you know, of production, what they do is they create a whole culture. They create not just an economy, but they create the religions. They create the educational system. They create the uh, business, uh, kind of how businesses work. They create the, the morality of what's right and wrong. They create especially how you do politics. And so these people that have all the power, they design culture in such a way it advances their interests and allows them to oppress others. So what's the solution? Well, if we had a revolution, we got rid of all these people and we took the means, uh, all the resources, financial resources, and all the means of production, and we shared them equally, that this would lead to a perfect world and human flourishing, okay? So you catch what I'm saying here? I'm not really a value, I'm just saying just describing it. What he's saying is that the problem with human society is economic disparity. That's the problem. And if we just change that whole system, then this would be the solution. So a second one that I want to spend a little bit more time on because it's so prevalent today, uh, the second one is, um, is social justice. So let's talk about this because uh, when we talk about social justice, there's a lot of confusion about what we mean. Like, let me give you an example. Back in the 60s and the 70s, there was a civil rights movement, right, led by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And they were fighting for social justice. And that's what it was called. But what they meant by that is fair treatment under the law. There would not be discrimination. You'd remove legal discrimination, right? That's what what the social justice meant. But social justice today means something completely different than that. And many Christians don't understand this. And so we get into trouble because we're, we're buying into something that it's like it's the same word, but a different dictionary, so what social, social justice warriors or social justice activists mean today is completely different than what Dr. Martin Luther King meant. His worldview was really a Christian worldview overall. This one is not. So let's, let's kind of break it down. So, um, so, so first of all, let's talk about justice itself. So one of the things you see in the Bible is that for us as Christians, that justice should be a very high priority. Because what we see in the Bible is from beginning to end, God is all about justice. And so, for example, there in your note sheet, in Psalm 39, this was shared by someone in our life group this week. It was just, oh, that's great. I'll just use that as an example. So um, 
It says, the Lord, uh, which, you know, all caps Yahweh, the Lord loves righteousness and what? Justice. justice. So he says, Yahweh loves justice. And the earth is full of his amazing love. And so throughout the Bible, you see this. Jesus talked about this. In Matthew 23, he's ripping on the religious leaders. He says, you... He says, you're, you're like, follow all your religious laws. You even tithe your tithe down to your mint gardens. He says, but you've neglected the more weightier or the more important things of the law. And the very first example, he says, is justice, right? And so, so for us as Christians, justice should be a very high priority. But what's interesting is that the way that the Bible defines justice and the way that social justice movement defines it are completely different. And so let's, let's talk about that. So, uh, so in the Bible, justice has to do, a just society is one for Israel where they're following the laws of God equally. There is no favoritism between rich and poor, there's no favoritism between the strong and the weak, the powerful and the weak. And so what, what Israel's prophets were always railing on, on uh, uh, the, their people for is you're not following the law, that those who are rich and powerful, are, they're not following the law and they're, they're abusing the poor by not allowing the poor to have their rights that the, God said the poor should have. See? So the widows and the orphans are being offended, so like that. Right? They're thinking, okay. so, so biblical justice has to do with fairness before the law of God. Uh, everyone's following the law. You're not, there's no favoritism, right? So, okay, so that's what biblical. So what is social? Like how would they define uh, how would a social justice, and by the way, I'm using this in a technical term now, like, like think of a social justice with a capital S, capital J, like it's like if you talked about social justice studies today in a university, right? And this is the kind of social justice you hear all the time in the media these, today, reproductive justice, climate justice, you know, it's all, all kind of the same thing, just applied a little bit to a different area. So how, how, would, social, how, would, how would they, how would a social justice activist define social justice? Well, to understand this, we have to understand the worldview that social justice comes out of. So the social justice movement that started in the 80s and the 90s especially, the social justice movement comes out of the postmodern worldview. So... You may remember this when we talked about postmodern worldview. In a postmodern worldview, there is, that every, there is no such thing as objective truth or reality, or you can't find it. And so theoretically, what they believe is that every culture creates their own view of reality. They create their own truth, their own cultural systems, what's right, what's wrong, how things work. Every culture does that. And, and because none of them really know what objective reality is, that there is no one culture that's better or worse than any other culture. And so on top of that, then the, here comes the next stage of the argument. And the culture that, the, it's those in any culture that hold the most power they're the one that create the culture. They create the religion. They create the laws. They create the educational system. They decide what's right and what's wrong. They create the political system. And it's just like in Marxism, in order to keep themselves in power, to advance their interests and to keep themselves in power. And so 
If that's the, so, so at the heart of the social justice system is the belief it's not the economy that brings that, that we need to change, it's the power differential between hierarchies and culture. Certain people in culture have more power than other, so the goal of the social justice movement is to flatten it out so everyone has the same amount of power in the culture. So like for example, in our culture, they would argue, well, who created culture in the West? They would say, well, it is white, male, heterosexuals. So, so white male have created the culture of Western society. And so in order to, to fix the problem, what we need to do is, first of all, call attention to this in a, in a myriad of ways. And we need to awaken people to this power differential. Those who are awakened to it are those who are called woke. Okay, That's where that term comes from. So if you, once you're awakened to this, and so, so what happens is then what you need to do in every area of life is you need to tear down the dominant culture. Why? Because by definition, by theory, it was created by those in power. And so we need to level out and destroy everything in culture and then rebuild the culture in a way that's more equitable to all. So everyone shares the same power. And so that's why the words equity, diversity, and inclusion, these are the key watchwords of the social justice movement. But what I want you to catch, what do you mean? so let me, one, more, one more thing. And so the question is like, in a biblical sense, how do you, how do you know if a culture is just? The answer is, well, if the laws are applied equally to all, right? And if you have fair laws, right? The law of God was assumed to be fair. So that, you know, you, our law, but in a, uh, for social justice, no, the way that you know if a culture is just is if everyone shares everything the same. Same achievement, same success, same finances, same everything. Because if it's not that way, then it's not just. So the way it measures justice is not by fairness of laws or fairness of implication or whether if it measures by the outcomes. So if everyone's not the same, it's unjust and we need to tear it down, right? So, so what I want you to catch is that here's an example of some worldviews that are really impacting our culture, like Marxism and social justice. The big thing I want you to catch is that there's a what's wrong with the human race, what's wrong is a social structure. We have to change it at a very core level. Not just a little education, not just a little, we, just, we need to dismantle it and re, rebuild it underneath it, okay? So, so there's, these are three of the big box answers that kind of uh, probably most, if not all, of the worldviews that have influenced our culture in the last 400 years would fall into you know, one, one of these boxes. So, uh, so the question is, okay, so how does that compare with a Christian worldview? Right? And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called worldview, the Christian response, right? So, so how would the question, how would the Christian answer, or how should a Christian, how, how would a Christian worldview answer this question, what's wrong with the world, and how do we fix it? So in a Christian worldview, remember, we are theists, right? We're 
we're not naturalists, we're not pantheists, we're theists. We believe that there, there's a creator God. So in our uh, worldview, in a Christian worldview, they say that, well, actually there is a creator. And the story starts with this amazing creator who's completely good and, and uh, immeasurably powerful, who out of his goodness creates this incredible creation that starts off perfect, it's all good, including the first man, the first woman, who are the high point of this creation, created to be like God, created to, to rule over creation for God, and to be in relationship with God. But very early in the story, we rebel against the creator, and when you rebel against the source of all life, the end result is death. And it's death at every level. It's death spiritual in our relationship with God. It's moral. It's uh, psychological. It's social. It's relational. It's even cosmological. Since we were called to be the rulers of the creation, when we felt the whole creation fell. And so, then, so, so the question is, like, what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with human society? The answer is us. You can change, you can change the environment, you can change education, you can change social structures, but it never really is going to solve the problem because the problem is us. It's like if you're looking for the perfect church and you find it, once you go, it's not going to be perfect anymore. <laughs> and, so, and so in the Christian worldview, the whole story of the Bible is answering this question of how, what went wrong and how, the, and how God is going to fix it. Because the answer has to come from outside of us, because we're the problem. No solution we come up with can solve the problem, because we are the problem. You know? It's like you get married and you start having problems and you think, I married the wrong person. No, they did, right? <laughs> so the whole story of the Bible is how God is working through the nation of Israel leading up to the coming of the Messiah, who first of all can solve this problem of our alienation from God because we're a rebel race. We've committed high treason against our king. And someone has to pay the price for that rebellion, for that treason. So we're alienated from God, but we've got another problem. We're screwed up within. We've got this magnetic pull to the dark side. We're selfish. We're ego-driven. We commit evil. We're drawn to evil. And so not only do we need to be forgiven, we need to be changed supernaturally. And so the story of the Bible is how God himself entered into human history through the person of Jesus and died for us so that we could be forgiven for our rebellion and by the power of his spirit transformed to be the people that we are created to be so that we can be a force for good in human culture. Right? And that this world will never be fully restored until the king returns to sort it all out, destroy all that's evil, and create new heavens and new earth. Okay, so that's a, that's a big picture of the Christian story, a worldview. Now, let's do some comparison here. So what I want to do is I want to compare and contrast kind of these different worldviews. Where does Christianity agree? Where do they disagree? Uh, and, and again, which one fits reality the best, aligns with reality? So to do that, we're going to do a little bit more map reading. So there in your note sheet is a section called Worldview Evaluating the Maps. 
Now, the very first week of this series, I introduced this metaphor of a map. And so remember we talked about this, that, that a worldview is like a map. It's like a map of reality. It helps us make sense of life, helps us navigate through life. And so remember he said that the value of a map is directly proportionate to the extent the map aligns with reality. So remember I used the example, if I'm driving down the 118, I get off at Tampa and I'm heading down and my map says you should cross this major cross street right now called Devonshire. That if I get there and I'm on Tampa and I'm crossing Devon, hey, I'm in the right spot, right? This map aligns with reality. If I'm backpacking and I'm standing at a certain location and I say, okay, according to my topographical map, there should be a cliff there, there should be a valley here, there should be a river over there. And I look and they got the cliff, I've got the, I've got the valley, I've got the, yep, yeah, I'm in the right spot, okay? And so the way, one of the best ways to, me, to, to measure a worldview or to evaluate is to say, okay, this is what the worldview says life is like, and this is what the worldview says this is the path forward. So the question is, well, does that, does that worldview align with reality, what we know life to be, how society works, who, who human beings are? Uh, does it, and to what extent does the path forward, can I actually take that path? Can I actually walk on that path that it says I need to take in order to, to succeed? And so what I wanna do is just compare and contrast uh, kind of the Christian worldview, its map, with these other three maps that we've talked about today. So let's talk about the first one, spiritual illumination. So the first kind of worldview map that we saw today is, are those maps that say, hey, the answer to life's problems and to the evil in, in the world is, uh, is through spiritual illumination, either through like Hinduism, uh, where we, we uh, like classic pantheism, like Hinduism example, where, where we just realize that all the world is illusion and that good and evil are all part of the one, um, or through a new age where we are creating reality. So here's what I want you to catch. Christian, the Christian worldview would agree that spiritual illumination plays a huge role in our lives. In fact, the, the story that the Bible is telling is that when we, we rebelled against God as a race, the catch is the lights went out on us mentally. The Bible uses a phrase more than once that describes us before we come to Jesus, it describes our race as catch this, we as a race are darkened in our understanding. It's like someone pulled the plug and we're going through life in the dark. And so we, we can't really see who God is. We can't really see uh, who we are. We can't really figure out the, the way to life. It's why we come up with all these different worldviews that don't really align with reality. We're walking in the dark. And so according to the Christian worldview, one of the first things that happens when we come to Jesus is that the Holy Spirit begins turning on the lights. And we begin realizing who God is and who we are. We begin realizing, oh, we're in trouble. We've rebelled against a righteous God. We begin to see who Jesus is. Like, life begins to come into alignment. We begin to see the truth. And this, does a, this plays a huge part, not only when we first come to Jesus, but in every step of our relationship with Jesus. This is how we grow. This is how we change. In fact, it's why we call this series Worldview Renewing Your Mind. Because as we're growing in Christ, what happens is the Holy Spirit keeps opening our eyes to new truth. And as we embrace that truth and follow that truth, life gets clearer and life gets better. 
And so for the follower of Jesus, spiritual illumination plays a huge part in our worldview. However, what is being revealed is very different. And so in Hinduism, what is being revealed is that there is no you and good and evil are all part of the one. So I wanna ask you, okay, so if that's our map of reality, who can really follow that map? Like, like you might be able to go out on a hillside and spend the day in meditation and, and come to a place where I think I've got it, I've lost myself, I'm one with the mountain. But at the end of the day, you have to get in your car and drive back home on the 405. <laughs> and all of a sudden, that moment of illumination has escaped you, right? But even more than that, within pantheism, what you, the moment of illumination is realizing that good and evil are all the same. They're all part of the one. And can I ask you something? Who can live that out for a single day? Are you really trying to tell me that these children that are five years old being sex trafficked in Thailand and kept in a cage, that there's really no difference between that and a child who's being brought up in a home with a loving mom and dad, that those are really good and that those are really an illusion? And are you really gonna tell me that, that, that in World War II, Germany, like putting Jews and others into, into uh, huge ovens and, and burning them, that that is really, like, that's, there's really no difference between that and the Allied forces storming Normandy and risking their lives to f- stop that from happening? Are you really gonna, can anyone really live like that? Can you really, can you really say that he take the worst sociopath in the world and say there's no difference between that person and Mother Teresa? It's all an illusion. Like, who can live like that? We can't even live one hour without making tons of moral judgments. We can't even go through one hour without saying, that guy cut me off. Why'd you do that? I uh, should turn to you and go, well, it's all good. Right? Cutting off, not being cut off. People flipping you off, not. Just looking at his praise. High praise. (laughs) He's just saying one way, a different way. Right? Like, who can live that way? You see, these are maps that don't really lead to anywhere. They can't be lived out. Uh, let's talk about the second one. Oh, by the way, I wanted to point out here that the, the New Testament is full of these references to spiritual illumination and how critical they are. But Jesus himself starts it in John chapter three. Remember Nicodemus, this religious leader, comes to it at night, wants to, how do I become the part of this kingdom you keep talking about? And Jesus said, no one can what? See, see, spiritual illumination. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Like unless something happens to you from the outside, you won't have the illumination you need to move forward. So it plays a huge part, it's just a different kind. Uh, Number two, the second example is environment and education. And so, so what would we as Christians agree with? What a Christian world would agree with? And I think one of my goals in this series is to help us grow in our discernment. That things are just all good or all bad. Like we need to say, well, this is the part of Marxism that was good, 
And this is the part that's bad. And it might only be 10% good and 90% bad, but as Christians, we should be able to, to think and be identified what's true. That's why these different worldviews are appealing because they've discovered some portion of truth. But we, there's always gonna be some truth because we live in God's world. And whether we wanna acknowledge God or not, the way the world works is true. This is his world. And so uh, when, you, when you talk about environment education, Christians would agree that of course environment's important. Like our environment greatly impacts us, right? And, and we would agree, yes, education's important. You think of the book of Proverbs, father teaching his son. So we would say, yeah, that, that of course environment's important. Education catches of the right sort. Not the kind that's in our schools today that are, are kind of destroying our youth with false worldviews, mostly from social justice perspective. Now, but we would agree that, hey, the right education is extremely important, and we would be all for, yes, we wish you could get some therapy to help you work through those issues. Yes, we, we, we would agree with that, and we would agree, yes, we want to work for a better world. And this flows out of a Christian worldview. I mean, Jesus said we're to be the light and the salt of the earth. And if you look at, at the history, the first hospitals were created by Christians, right? That the slave trade was largely ended because uh, in, in England uh, by Wilbur Wilberforce and that whole movement of that so, uh, prisons were reformed. So we've got bad things in our resume, but we've got all these great things and, and they flow naturally out of our worldview that we were created to be kings and queens. We were created to rule over creation and create good culture. And Christians should be in politics and Christians should be in our schools and Christians should be leading business and we should be making the world a better place wherever we go because we love God and we love people. It's part of our worldview. It's who we are. But we would say yes, Education's important, yes, therapy's important, yes, economy's important, but the problem of the human race goes deeper than changing our environment. And all you have to do is look at history, and what you'll find is some of the people that did the most evil in the world were the people that had the most education, the most wealth, the greatest influence, and the greatest privilege. That the solution to the human race goes much deeper than just changing our environment. That we are not basically good. And if you just put us in the right environment, it would work. The world Christian worldview says, no, apart from me, you're basically bad. And you will destroy whatever system that you create. And that leads to number three. Well, what about... Social structures, and again, much to agree with. Like I said, in a couple of weeks, we may talk a little bit more about Marxism. And you know, Marx, uh, when Karl Marx came up with his theories, uh, he, it was because human culture was really broken. And there's a lot of great observations there. It's, the problem was his solution. You know, the, the problem was not, he said something's broken, the problem was his solution. And so we could agree with some of Marx's observations. We could agree with social justice. And so we'd say, of course, we want a culture that's, that's well, kind of no prejudice, that we're, of course, that it's fair for all. Of course, that we're, we're all over that. And we would, we would agree. 
that there have been times in our nation we have not done that. We've not lived up to our own standards. And as Christians, we should always stand for the truth. Christians should never be the ones sweeping the dirt under the mat. Unless we just don't talk about that. No, no, Christians should always stand for what's right and what's true. And if the truth is painful, we need to be the ones that say, yes, we want to acknowledge that truth. That's how we get better. If we don't face the things of our past that are wrong, we will never get better. So yes, we can agree with that. We can agree and say, yes, let's talk about what slavery really was like. Let's talk about the Tulsa riots. Let's talk about these other things that have happened. They're real facts. They really happened. And we can embrace that and and we can agree with that. And we can agree that there are times, and it's been this way all through history, when those in power create laws to advance their own purposes. This is obvious, not always, but yes, it happens. And when that happens, we should address it and we should work together for a better society, of course. But as Christians, we would always say, but it doesn't matter if you change the systems, it's always gonna go bad because people are running the systems. And history has shown that time and time again. You think of Marxism, his basic thought, if we just make everyone equal in power and everyone equal economically, we'll usher in this tremendous society where no one will be alienated, everyone will be fulfilled, everyone will love one another. But what has the 20th century showed us? That utopian dreams always end in disaster. The reality is between 100 and 150 million people were executed or killed in in the Soviet Union and China, just those two places, as a result of the implementation of the philosophy of Karl Marx. Because at its core, it's a materialist philosophy. At its core, it doesn't believe in moral values. And so what do you do if you believe that there's a path to this utopian society and these people won't get on board? Well, you take them out. There's nothing to stop you from taking them out because they're getting in the way of utopia. For the Christian, we could never do that because as much as we disagree with someone and their policies, they are created in the image of God and they have intrinsic value and we have to respect that value in that life. But in Marxism, that's not there. And so in Marxism, the end justifies the means. And the same is true in social justice. You see that in our culture today. You know what's crazy is, remember, social justice comes out of postmodernism, right? And postmodernism says there is no ultimate truth. That your truth is as equal as mine. But what you see in our culture right now is what happens, is that social justice becomes the orthodoxy of the land. And if you disagree, we're taking you out. We will cancel you, we'll destroy your reputation, we'll destroy your life any way we can. Why? Because you're getting in the way of our utopia. And the end justifies the means. And so this is what, this is what happens. So, so All this leads to a question then. So there in your note sheet, 
there's a section called Worldview, the key question. And, and I've got a question for you, and I want to remind you of something that I said early on in this series. I've said it more than once. So when I ask these kinds of questions, I'm asking them of all of us. Like some of you, you would self-identify. I'm a follower of Jesus. Great, you're a Christian. Some of us would identify that we are, uh, we're seekers. We're not, we're not, we don't know what we believe yet. We're just here checking it out. Others may be skeptics. Whether it's here or it's on, out in the patio, maybe it's online. But what I want to catch is this question is not for one category, it's for every category. And the question goes like this, which map are you following? So I want you to think about this. We're in, we're in week six of this series. We're beginning to wind down. We've got two more important weeks. But we're in the, and so we, we have, at this point, we have covered all the major worldviews that, have, that are impacting our culture. We've talked about naturalism or materialism. We've talked about postmodernism. We've talked about pantheism. Today we've talked about new age. Right? These will be the big four, I think that are impacting our culture the most right now. And every time we've talked about it, we've said, okay, let's do a little map reading. Let's see to what extent does this align with the reality? And is this, is this map really one that you can actually use, you could actually follow? And what we've seen over and over is that all these maps fall short. We've seen, for example, in naturalism, if you buy into that, that we're the result of billions of years of accidents, that the end result is what it means is there is no meaning. There is no value of human life. There's no purpose. There is no such thing as right and wrong. There's not even such a thing as free will. And when you die, you're gone, and pretty soon this whole cosmos will die, and it'll be gone. And there was never a point to any of that. We've looked at postmodernism, right? That, that, hey, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and that there is no such thing as objective truth. We all just create our own moralities, create our own deal. And so all that's left, as we saw today, is power. And so we just, we just fight one another for power, and society breaks into smaller and smaller identity groups fighting for their piece of power. We've talked about pantheism, you know, that that all reality is an illusion, or new age, that you create your own reality. That's the, that's the solution. And I, I think what we've shown every week as we've gone through this series is how these different worldviews don't really align with the reality of the way life is and impossible to follow them out. And if we do follow them to the end, they lead to a cliff. But the question is, as we come to this point in the series, so which map will you follow? And like I said, this is a question for all of us because remember what we've been learning in our, in our study as a life group is that there are very few Christians who actually have a fully Christian worldview. That we, we, what we've done is we take some Jesus, we mix in some naturalism, we add a dash of postmodernism, throw a little new age. We sort of pick and choose. Often we're more influenced by the culture than the culture being influenced by us. And so it's a, question, it's a question for all of us who are Christians. But this is an especially important question for those of you who would self-identify as a seeker or as a skeptic. As we've gone through and examined these different worldview maps and where they lead and why they fail, the question is, how will you respond to this? You know, it's interesting, we may talk about this in a couple weeks, but we live in a culture 
that where most people have really not thought through a worldview, and if they did, what they'd see is they've just kind of combined several worldviews that are contradictory and not coherent at all. But of course, the advantage is when you construct your own worldview, then you can just do whatever you want. I love the quote by Natasha Crane there on your note sheet from the book we're reading together, Faithfully Different. She says, given our culture's emphasis on individualism, it really shouldn't shock us that so few people have a consistent and coherent worldview. When your authority is yourself and you're picking beliefs here, there, and everywhere along the feelings-based path to personal happiness, you may well end up with worldview pieces that don't logically fit together. Few people stop to consider whether their beliefs are coherent because, catch this, as Barna implies, most simply don't care. And so here's the question. Are you one of those most? Do you care? And especially for those of us here, maybe you're online, especially for those of us who have not yet given our life to Jesus, we're laying out the evidence. We're following the world view maps. And the question is, how will you respond? And will you respond to Jesus and this worldview map that he is laying out in his word? There in your note sheet, the Gospel of John, John writes, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. It's not why Jesus came. He came to save the world. He says, but whoever believes in him, and in a biblical sense, just means to trust him with your life. As we say at Rocky Peak, to listen and follow. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Why? Because he took the condemnation for us on the cross. He says, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Why? Because you're part of a rebel race. There's only one way out. There's only one pardon available. And that's the pardon that was purchased by Jesus for you on the cross. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed. They've not listened. They've not followed the name of God's one and only son. So the question is, we begin bringing this series towards a close is for all of us. Hey, as we move forward, Christian, seeker, skeptic, which map are we gonna follow? Let's pray together. So our heads are down, are closed. I mean, our eyes are closed, our heads are, are bowed. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna give those of you who are not yet a follower of Jesus a chance to become one. Maybe you're here, maybe you've been going through this series. You might be in the auditorium, you might be out on the patio, you might be online. But as we've gone through this, something is happening. Something is changing in your heart. It's as if the Holy Spirit is beginning to turn up the light and you're beginning to see the story of the Bible. It's not just a story. It's a, it's a story of reality. It's an accurate account of who we are, what the problem is, what God has done to rescue us as a race. And I'm guessing there are some who are saying that I want in that I, I, I've come to believe that this story is true and I, I want to be forgiven and I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. I, I want the power of the Spirit in my life to become the person that I was designed to be. And if that's you, I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer right now. And I encourage you just to pray it under your breath, to pray it in your heart. If you're sincere, I know God will hear Let's just pray together. Dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. 
I ask you to forgive me for all my rebellion and sin. I thank you that you died for me to take the penalty for my rebellion that I could never pay myself. And I ask you not only to forgive me, but to send your spirit into my life to lead, to guide, to empower me to follow you and to live a whole new life, not just now, but forever. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you just pray that prayer, I want to welcome you, first of all, to the kingdom. It's the best decision you ever made, one you'll never regret. And I also want to send you a letter. Here are some next steps in your new walk with Jesus. And so what I'd ask you to do is, if you're here on campus, that inside your program is a small connect card. Just fill out the front, and then on the back, just write me a note. Michael, I gave my life to Jesus, or I asked Jesus in my life. I'll know what you meant. And this week, we'll send you a letter, just a brief letter. Here's some steps in your new relationship with Jesus. For those of you who are watching online, you can do the same thing. If you just send us an email, just address it to info at rockypeak.org and just the same message and we'll send you that. And so Lord, we, we thank you that in a world that's so uncertain, in a world that's so confused, in a society that's literally coming apart at the seams because it's, it's built on this sand of naturalism. It's built on this sand of postmodernism. It's built on this sand of social justice. God, we pray, we just thank you that as followers, that we have a firm foundation, that our, our life is built not on sand, but on the rock of Jesus, the Messiah, the one who came into human history as Jesus of Nazareth to rescue us, to transform us, to make us a force for good in human culture, and to be part of this new kingdom the new creation is coming. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.